Welcome to episode 14 of the Comfort in the Workplace podcast. On today's episode, I want to talk through how sometimes you have to give the customer what they want and not what they need. And so I'm going to talk about that in three different perspectives. First, it's how I learned about um, this topic and, and how to differentiate between outcome and, and output. And the second I want to get to is, is customer excitement and what I think about when I think about customer excitement and giving them what they, what they want. And last, we'll cover one of the comfort and workplace tools, and I'll show you how the customer correct tool can help you out um, with this with this topic. So, how did I le- how did I learn this? Where did where did where did I learn this lesson? So, I, I was just a kid. I was maybe eleven or twelve when this lesson was first introduced to me, and I say introduced because it didn't quite sink in right off the bat. I had to I had to keep on learning it until it eventually it eventually sunk in. Well, my, my father was a mechanic, and we lived in a city. And so he had a lot of customers who, who are a bit older. Um, these, are the, these are the type of um, customers where they never left the neighborhood. They would putz around at 25, 30 miles an hour max, going to groceries, going to visit family, going to the doctor. Everything was in, was in their neighborhood, in this, 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 little, this little radius of the city. And they'd bring in their car to my father, complaining that the car was stalling or wasn't performing correctly. And he'd say, "Okay, leave it with me, and come back at the end of the day, and I'll get it all. I'll get it all worked out for you." And so I'd, I, my father, would tell me hop in the car, and he'd take the car into the highway. He'd hit the gas. He'd nail it. He'd get it up to to sixty or so, and he'd blow out a ton a ton of smoke out the back. And he'd bring it back to the to the garage. He'd vacuum out the air filter. He'd adjust the carburetor. Yes, this was uh, this was back 1989. There were still cars with carburetors, and so maybe he'd do a few other tweaks, a few other cleanups, and then um, and then he he would tell them that the car just needed a tune-up and everything's all set. And I remember thinking, "Wow, I mean, you're you're ripping them off. Um, what what you didn't you didn't really do a tune-up. You really didn't do um, any any of that work. All you did was was bring it on the highway." And so my father explained to me that um, if he told them. Hey, just just go and bring it on the highway and nail it. They either would think that he was just pushing them off and didn't want to deal with a, with an older customer, or they just would never do it. Either way, they were going to bring it to somebody else, and somebody else was going to was going to do the same thing. And so, he he knew also if he just did it on his own, then he told them what he what he did and told them there was no charge. That inevitably they would be back a day later with the same with the same the same issue. It's kind of that placebo effect. You see, my, my, my dad knew this through experience. He knew that they came to him not only to fix their car, but they came to him for peace of mind. They trusted my father. They trusted my father to fix, his, to fix their car. He's done it for a number, a number of years. And so what he did was he fixed the car and he sold something to them that made sense. A tune-up made sense. The solution had to make, had to make sense to them. Now, yes, all they needed was their car fix. But what they wanted was it to be something that needed a mechanic to give them a peace of mind, something for my father to give them the peace of mind, somebody he, he, he trusted. And he learned this earlier on when he first was a mechanic. And, and yes, he saw them come back and he saw the placebo effect was real. And so he adjusted and, and he, he, he realized that he had to give the customer what they want and not just what they, what they needed. So for me, years later, in my early 20s, I was doing tech support on the side fixing fixing computers and i obviously didn't learn my lesson because i had a, I had a well-to-do customer 
Um, he had a very nice home. Um, he he owned a couple of, a couple of businesses, and you know I'd fix his computer from time to time when when there were issues or set up a new computer when he when he got a new computer. And in one particular case, he called me up and he asked me to fix his computer while he was on vacation. And so while I was on vacation, I diagnosed it. Um, I pretty quickly realized that the hard the hard drive was was shot, and and I did some some research and saw that um, based on when he purchased it. Um, it was actually still under warranty, so I was pretty excited. Um, I, I I was able to pinpoint the issue. Um, I was able to I was going to be able to save him save him some money, but I needed to get the receipt, and so I had to wait for him to to get back from vacation before I could before I could do the work. So he got back from vacation, and I got to say he was pretty annoyed that his computer wasn't fixed. And I wound up trying to explain to him that it was under warranty and that um, I'll fix it as soon as the, the hard drive came in, but we had to go through the, the, the company. And so it wasn't for a few weeks later that it was, um, that it was, it was fixed. And I lost him as a customer. And see, what, what he wanted, he wanted the computer fixed, um, but he wanted the convenience more than anything. The couple hundred bucks that I saved him was meaningless to him. He wanted the convenience of having the computer fixed and waiting for him when he when he got home from from vacation, instead he got the surprise that it was going to be another few weeks. On top of that, the couple hundred dollars was not was not a deciding factor for him. And so the lesson here, you saw it with with my father as a mechanic. You saw it with me not knowing my customer. My father knew his customers, so you have to listen to the to the customer. You have to dig down and try to understand not only what they came to you for, but what they really want. Not what they need, but what they want. What are they paying you for? And my father knew that, um, and it took me a little bit longer to learn to learn that lesson. I should have learned it right off the bat at 11, 12 years old. It was a very important lesson. Um, but sometimes it takes a while for things to for things to sink in. And so now take take you to the to the to the corporate world, and this concept of customer excitement. And, and sometimes customer excitement can come by simply working on the things that are top of mind for your, for your customer. And when I mean top of mind, these are the problems that are, that are right in front of them. And so I've come across teams that, um, that, have, that have done their core workout, they're staying true to their core objectives, they know how they're gonna add value and how they fit into the organization. And they know that they're working on things that are gonna make a real difference for their organization. And, and they're high performing, talented team, Yet, from their peers, from their immediate stakeholders, from their immediate customers, there is a perception that is far from that reality. And the, the issue is that there's a disconnect from what the team's working on and what the customers care about. What is top of mind for the customers? What are the problems that are right in front of their face? And yes, there is some overall good for the organization. It's very strategic. But the customers are fighting fires today right in front of them. And so if your team is sitting there and is working on only things that are, are strategic, there could be a significant dis disconnect from perception to reality. And we all know that perception is reality. So we need to bridge that gap. And sometimes we need to work on what the customer wants and not what the customer needs. And so those needs are those long-term things that we're working on. Um, but sometimes we've got to do what's right in front of the customer, what's top of mind. And so we have these corporate objectives. Um, but if we're not engaged in helping those close to us, the perception is going to trump the good work that we're doing. So we need to balance it out. We need to balance out that long-term value with helping our customers fight, fight, our, fight our fires. 
And by building the customer excitement, you're also building credibility. And so now you think about credibility as, as this, this, this savings account. And so you're putting all this credibility into that savings account. And now when you want to make a big, huge impact down the line, but you need support from others, you have that credibility in the bank to use. And so it's very important that you can't get on your soapbox. You can't sit in your white ivory tower and, and pat yourself on the back for doing these big strategic things when there, there um, is a big disconnect between the reality and the value that you're delivering and the perception that some of your peers, immediate stakeholders, and immediate customers have of you. And so in, in, with customer excitement, you're bridging the gap between doing what customer wants and what a, custo- a customer needs. So you got to be able to strike, uh, strike that balance. So the customer correct is a great tool to help. Now, remember, the tool talks through problem statement, customer input, success definition, metrics, and improvement opportunities. Now, what I, what I like about this is that it gives you um, a methodical approach to make sure that um, not only you're getting that customer um, input, um, you're, you're, you're using quotes from the customer so you have that engagement. It's a guaranteed engagement with the customer. And then you're leveraging metrics to keep both of us honest, both the customer honest and, and ourselves. So is the problem real? Um, how are we going to measure success? And so when we get to success, it's not continuing to move to move the needle. And now let's think back to the to the example with with my dad. And I think it's kind of humorous to to think about going to 1989 um, at a mechanic shop and using the customer correct tool with um, a 70 year old customer. I think they would have probably looked at him with 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 uh, with ten like yeah, ten heads. Um, but let's pretend for a minute. Let's uh, let's pretend. What, what if what if he did? What if he did fill out the problem statement, car stalling, um, got the input from the customer that um, they're at a stop sign or they're at a, a red light, and the car is stuttering a bit when um, when when they hit the they hit the gas or there's low power. Um, let's pretend that he they laid out the uh, success definition of having a smooth riding car, um, hit the gas and and it goes. And let's pretend they put a couple metrics in about how quickly the car can go from zero to 30 miles an hour. Um, how does the car start in the morning? Um, and, and then my father brings the car onto the highway. He blows it out. He comes back. He's able to show them the metrics that the improvements happened. And he's able to, um, to maybe avoid having to play a little bit of games to, to make them feel satisfied, to make them feel like they got something that something that was worth it and that problem was solved. Customer correct tool can help help um, help keep a customer honest as well. Help you help you stay honest. Help the customer stay honest. And and, and so now think about the computer example. And so if I would have gone through the customer correct tool with that customer and laid out the problem statement, um, got his his quote. You know, maybe in one of the quotes he would have said, "Man, it's real important for me to get this this computer fixed by the time I come back. My daughter has to has a school project um, that she needs to work on." And um, it needs to be done by, by the time I get back. And, and maybe his success definition, the success definition would have had that out. And maybe the, the metric would have been um, timeliness of, of resolution. Um, so now if you had the custom correct tool, when I'm going through my improvement opportunities, I'm certainly not going to consider um, a pro- an improvement opportunity that was going to take us out a month and a half. Um, that, wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been a consideration. 
Now, I know that um, these examples are probably a bit exaggerated, and you might not use the custom correct tool in all cases, and they're probably for more for bigger bigger items. But um, but even if you don't literally fill out the custom customer correct tool, understanding that that method, that process, um, understanding the idea of going through the problem statement, getting the customer input, making sure there's agreement on success definition, and then being able to measure success and have that drive how you're going to make the improvements. Um, stepping through that process can help can help tremendously. And so sometimes though, even when we know what the customer needs and we may not be able to walk through that and maybe there's still that that disconnect between perception and reality you know we have to truly listen to our customer and we have to understand what they want because 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 once in a while doing what the customer wants trumps what the what the customer needs so i hope you found this helpful and i ask you all to please join me in creating comfort in the workplace by respecting team members and demanding excellence.